0: Welcome back to Pulp Friction. It's a show about what divides us. My name is Rocky and Alex's name is Alex and sure is we are talking about uh, well welcome back first of all.
1: (laughs) Thank you. It's great to be here. My name is absolutely Alex. It is not code name for any other name that was formerly my name. My name is only Alex. You don't need to know any secrets about my past because it's only ever been Alex.
0: (laughs) <laughs> this is true yeah well only like, like like the show we're talking about today well it's, it's only available to us in uh in brief flashbacks but uh <laughs> we're talking about uh cowboy bebop the latest brand new show from
1: netflix <laughs> uh, oh my god i can't i can't believe we're really getting into this like here's the, like i know i recommended this And I knew that I was kind of being naive, but you know, like this whole time, there's always a small part of me before the show came out that was like, like, it's not gonna be as good as Cowboy Bebop, because like, it's Cowboy Bebop, but it could be okay, you know, it could be fun. It could be like cool to see the characters. In my opinion, it was not that for the most part, it was not a fun new way to see the characters. (laughs) We'll get
0: into it. I uh, have taken some notes. I watched it over the course of the past week. Uh, My notes mostly do not concern the plot, which uh, (laughs) I was not particularly (laughs) invested in. But um, I think this will also be a, you know, sort of a lens to talk about this, the phenomenon that this show represents.
1: Uh, Maybe you're planning on getting into this, but I'm interested to know, had you watched uh, the anime Cowboy Bebop like before going into this?
0: I have not watched the wow. anime Cowboy Bebop.
1: Well, I have, so I'll be that perspective on it. I guess
0: sure, sure. This is this is a fun perspective, though. We, I mean, this is a bit of a, a spoiler for what's to come, but we're doing a, a sort of Homestuck episode uh, in a few weeks. Oh, and wow. uh, I have not read Homestuck, and I feel like that's going to be. And I'm talking to people who are very familiar with Homestuck, and I so think you're planning
1: be- on like going in blind and just sort of leading a conversation that they sort of. Give the details on?
0: Basically, I'm going to look into, like, just the structure of the story, just so that, like, I know, like, what the chapters are and how to how to lead discussion, but I don't intend to. Uh, I mean, there's so much that I know just through yeah. osmosis, but yeah, I, I'm i choosing not to read it. So, Cowboy Bebop, the anime, was created by Sunrise, a Japanese studio also known for producing Gundam, Love Live, Sgt. Frog, Inuyasha, and many others. This project was commissioned by Bandai's toy division. Uh, they were hoping to sell a line of spaceships. And so they, they uh, and according to Watanabe, who's the creator of the show, his only instruction was to include spaceships.
1: He created a show, it, it sure has spaceships. He did not miss that, Mark.
0: This was Watanabe's first project as a solo director. He cites Lupin the Third as his primary influence. The show's aesthetics draw heavily from American film and music, uh, Westerns and jazz, particularly, he, uh, he says that he first conceived of the character of Spike Spiegel and sort of, sort of built the show out from there. He conceived of the show ending as it does with, uh, Spike and Vicious, uh, seemingly both dying, uh, pretty early on in the, in the process.
1: Spoilers for anyone who isn't, who hasn't (laughs) watched the anime like Rocky, I guess.
0: (laughs) throw a little a little thing in the in the the (laughs) sub stack uh members of the team were like let's leave it open so that we can you know do more if we want to yeah yeah he he what he said was that he didn't want the series to be like star trek and he didn't want to be forced to just keep doing it for the rest of his life
1: (laughs) he has the right idea because he's gone on to make a lot of shit and he has not even though he kind of I mean, I haven't seen all of his stuff, but I feel like general consensus is that he kind of peaked on his first project because of how much mm. of a classic Cowboy Bebop is.
0: Yeah. Rather than running Cowboy Bebop into the ground, he, you know, went and made some other stuff. So it's, it's good. So Bondi uh, saw early footage of the show, and even though their only instruction was to include spaceships, they didn't like it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Not enough spaceships. Okay. Add that to the notes.
0: They were basically like, we can't sell spaceships with this show. <laughs> so there, there are spaceships in it, but they didn't feel like they could, you know, uh, it's it's not a toy show, you know? Yeah. The show was kind of in development hell for several years. And then Bandai Visual, which is another division of Bandai that's different from the toy company, they picked it up and without the pressure to create a toy line they you know had a lot more free reign to make a show that appealed to adults and uh, in addition to younger audiences they sort of like built things out when they didn't have to worry about making toys
1: definitely i was just it's it's hard to imagine that like the show that exists ever could have had a form where like toys are being sold for it i mean like Certainly merch exists. I have a I am uh embarrassed to admit, I have an ed uh Funko Pop sitting right behind my computer right now. It's one of the first <laughs> so, I bought it when I was in like eighth grade. It was one of the first pieces of anime merch I ever bought. It was like it was before I realized the Funko Pops suck ass. But um, yeah,
0: I, I feel like being a Funko Pop suits Ed better than most characters. You certainly. Know?
1: <laughs> Definitely. Um, yeah, like, I just can't imagine this like such like philosophical show where it's all about like, the meaning of like, like, what does it mean to live? And what does it mean to dream and all of that? And and what does it mean to like, what, what, how does your past affect you to be like, and now go buy now we're going to be the next Gundam, go buy our spaceships.
0: What a world it would have been.
1: I wonder if there's any like pictures of drafts or character designs or like stuff like that that exist uh, of from like, the toy era, of, yeah. of the toy era of Cowboy Bebop.
0: Cowboy Bebop debuted on Tokyo TV on April 3rd, 1998. Due to its violence, this initial run only aired 13 of the show's 26 episodes, uh, it said that censorship in primetime TV was kind of heightened in this moment. There, there was a dual thing because Evangelion had come out like a year before. And so on the one hand, people were really looking for more like adult oriented stuff, uh, mm-hmm. in, in the TV market, but also there was like a real crackdown on censorship. Interesting. And then, uh, the series aired in full on the satellite station. Wow. Wow. In October of 99. So hmm. over a year. I didn't later.
1: realize that. Wow, that there was such. Because, like, I've always seen it credited as '98. I didn't realize, like, in '98, you couldn't even get the full series. It's crazy.
0: The show was uh, acclaimed immediately upon its release. It won numerous awards at the 1999 and 2000 anime Grand Prix, again, because, you know, they had to split the show in half. Uh, Best male character for Spike, best voice actor for Megumi Hayashibara as Faye. In 2001, as the clock struck midnight on September 3rd, Cowboy Bebop first aired in America.
1: Oh, I thought you were going to say something about the movie. <laughs> I, I no. put the wrong <laughs> pieces together. Uh yeah. Uh I know that like when I got into anime, like it, it's Cowboy Bebop certainly still has this like status to it, but when I got into anime, I think especially cuz like the Tsunami block like hadn't come back yet or it had just come back, so like Tsunami was like this relic of of, you know, like the earlier 2000s it was just seen like this like holy grail of like this, this perfect anime came with the perfect English dub and it made anime a thing in America. I just, I, I always found it interesting because I, well I I, I, tech, I usually watch subs more than I watched like dubbed anime. Um, I've never been someone who has had like a hard line on that whole like sub dub debate. Um, and I think it's because like Cubby Bebop is one of the first shows I ever watched. And I, I went in because I had heard so much, like generally people saying, oh, like subs are better, you should watch the subs. I watched like a few episodes of subs and I was like, I don't like this that much. They watched the dub and I was like, I can, I don't speak Japanese and I can tell that this English voice acting is better. So I feel like that's, that's like a really interesting like piece of anime history that like this show is so significant, not just because like it has a great English dub that like brought it to a, a good audience, but that like, the English dub is generally considered better than the original Japanese.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it definitely has a, a particularly acclaimed dub. I'm looking into that right now. Here's something that I I didn't even think to talk about the movie and it's not very relevant, but true. I, the movie came out in Japan on September 1st Uh. at the, at the anime first aired in America on September 3rd. (laughs) That is wild.
1: I mean, the movie isn't of much relevance because aside from them using like one song from the movie soundtrack that like, like that I recognized at least in the TV show, like there is nothing from the movie in the live action show.
0: Well, uh, Cowboy Bebop was the closing premiere of Cartoon Network's first ever Adult Swim block. Oh, wow. The, the run was home movies, The Brack Show, Harvey Birdman, Sea love 2021 and Space Ghost and then Cowboy Bebop premiered at the end of it. Damn. Adult Swim executive Jason DeMarco recalls that his team was sold as soon as they saw the show's opening sequence.
1: (laughs) Oh, of course, of course. You gotta, you gotta do that. Gotta get that tank in there. When we get into talking about the live action a bit more, I'm very eager to talk about how music is used in the show. Is there like, like references to music? Because there's just a few things that really kind of grind my gears that you might not have picked up on because you haven't seen the anime itself.
0: They had finished one episode of the show at the time that they uh, brought it to Adult Swim. And Adult Swim was like, hell yeah. <laughs> so they bought those rights like back in 97 or something. Like like before the show had, had aired, obviously. Wow. And initially the team was worried that like it would be censored to shit on Cartoon Network. because they. Oh, you
1: know... oh my God, I cannot. It, oh, it would not. I can't imagine they would have aired it, period.
0: Yeah, but they were, like, in the early stages of figuring out this Adult Swim block, and there were a couple of other shows that they had bought for Toonami that they couldn't really air on Cartoon Network, so they were like, maybe we can make something happen here. And it did. You know, Adult Swim was was obviously huge, and it became, after after this, you know, fateful premiere, uh, eight days before 9-11, it became, <laughs> you know, uh, a, a site. That built on, you know, America, there was obviously an anime audience in America before this point, but like before Toonami, it was like video collectors and, you know, people with a with a very, you really had to go out of your way to get into it. and oh, um, absolutely,
1: yeah.
0: Adult Swim really opened the floodgates for adult-oriented shows like Bleach and Death Note and Full Metal Alchemist to uh, reach an American crowd and while cowboy bebop never did massive numbers on adult swim they kept airing it for over a decade and because they kept airing it so long as the us like anime crowd grew generation after generation was being exposed to cowboy bebop as like their their entry point into into the world
1: that 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 makes sense cuz i i do feel like the series doesn't isn't sort of i mean it's certainly still heralded as like an amazing show but i haven't seen it uh talk about as much of like an an introduction show so much and that might just be because like it's it's older and so now it's like not accurate to what like modern anime fans would want to be introduced to but it might also be because like it's not you know constantly being re-aired on Adult Swim anymore so there isn't that like and also with like Crunchyroll and there's stuff on Netflix like you do not need Adult Swim to get your anime fix so that's interesting.
0: It's true. And you also got to think about the um, the sort of online fandom communities that uh, were building at the same time in the early 2000s and how, you know, Cowboy Bebop hitting at this moment right at the beginning of Adult Swim, you know, as American nerds are sort of, you know, building this massive online presence and becoming you know the dominate the dominating force that they are today. Uh, I mean, when Firefly came out, a big like online debate was how similar it was to Cowboy Bebop, and that was like, uh, you know, a, a huge point of contention online. So, you know, it, it it sort of it became a centerpiece of that of that building world. And so, as this culture of American anime fans and and just just nerd culture in general got bigger and bigger. Hollywood became increasingly interested in adapting anime and manga for American audiences. Yes. Uh, I have the three like biggest early examples that I think taken in some sort of give you an idea of what this phenomenon comes out to. So in in terms of the modern wave, really the first one to come out is Speed Racer in 2008. The uh, I I have a little history on each of these. Uh, Speed Racer was first conceived by Space Jam director Joe Pitka in 1992.
1: (laughs) Space
0: Jam. okay. Yeah, it was uh, stuck in development hell for years. In 95, Johnny Depp was cast in the lead role. He left in 97. At that time, Gus Van Sant was attached to direct, and then after him, Alfonso Cuaron was on, <laughs> and then, and for that one, J.J. Abrams wrote a, a script, and then in 2000, Hype Williams was attached to direct, and then that just kind of fell apart. In 2004, it was revived by Vince Vaughn, who intended to produce and play Racer X, and then it was eventually written and directed by the Wachowskis as their follow-up to the Matrix trilogy.
1: Interesting. I find it so int- like interesting that that is what they go for. I, I'm i not super familiar on like Speed Racer's place in the US anime. I believe it was probably a show that was, you know, like easily bought for cheap. They slapped a, a, a quick did bad dub on it and like aired it mm-hmm. for kids. But as far as I know, like it's, it's not got much of a, a story. I, I don't know. I like I... There's plenty of like older anime that I've never seen that I've like sort of picked up on what they're about just by like being around other anime fans so much. I have never heard anyone like genuinely talk about the show Mach Go Go Go, aka Speed Racer.
0: It's true. I think that um, what Speed Racer has going for it is that it's sort of it, it's sort of seen within the like 80s, you know, Saturday morning cartoon sphere in a way, but it also like you know being a dubbed anime it has that um there's something unique about it but it's also kind of in american culture i think prior to this big anime movement it was also kind of in the realm of like transformers and um and you know pokemon and uh masters of the universe even just like just like you know these things that uh people were being exposed to as kids and that uh, obviously people were interested in making movies out of those for a long time. Uh, I mean, the Masters of the Universe movie was, I think, 1984. So they, um, yeah, I think it came up pretty early because uh, pre the anime, like, boom, because it was seen as part of that sphere also. Yeah,
1: definitely.
0: Another uh, early one was Astro Boy. Um, came out in 2009.
1: I was wondering if you were going to mention that because that it's certainly very different than you know like this low live action speed racer. I remember seeing Astro Boy in theaters. I'm pretty sure I liked it as you know like a, a seven year old, but mm-hmm. I, I I've not gone back to it since. <laughs>
0: Uh, the important note about speed racer that i want to bring up before we get into it is that at the time it received negative reviews and was a bit of a bomb since then it has gained a large cult following and is uh, considered very highly by many myself included astro boy was originally conceived in 1997 and at one point was going to be produced by the jim henson company and directed by Gendy tartakovsky
1: <laughs> wow <laughs> i just I know the work that he does. He did. Um, he's got that like primal series right now, right? Uh, Yeah. And like, like he can go like it's probably selling that kids, but you know, like he's got he's got some very good work under his belt. I I assume that would have also been two D. Although, I mean not necessarily i don't know because
0: because with the with the jim henson involvement i wonder about yeah. that let me uh look for more details it's also like because if it was I-
1: proposed in 1997 they may have thought like we do not have the technology to you know do this in 3d yet because certainly what they achieved in 2009 they could not have achieved in uh 1997
0: the film rights were bought by sony they wanted to make a live action movie uh todd alcott was going to write the screenplay for that one uh, that was stopped when Steven Spielberg started working on AI because that was another movie about like a robot boy. Um, December, 2001, they hired Eric Layton to direct an all CGI movie. And that is when the Jim Henson company came on. Oh, board, wow. So, Interesting. but then by the time Gendy Tartakovsky came on, it was going to be a live action animatronic and CG like hybrid.
1: Oh, wow. I just all this sounds a lot more interesting than from what I remember is like the kind of milk toast not very, you know, memorable movie that we ended up having.
0: Tardakovsky wrote a script, I guess. I, I, but the thing I think is interesting with Tartakovsky is that you could see him you could see him doing something uh Quite serious and meaningful with it. You could also see him getting into like his Dexter's Laboratory uh, bag and you know <laughs> bring bringing out something that's really fun too. I you know I do think the Astro Boy movie is uh fun, but uh yeah, he left after writing the script, and he, the thing that he left for was a sequel to the Dark Crystal that also never got made. Oh. But um, at the end of the day, it was produced by the Hong Kong-based animation studio uh, Imagi that also did TMNT, the 2007 one. And it was directed by David Bowers of Flushed Away. That was his, uh, his, first mo- his first movie was Flushed Away and his second movie was Astro Boy.
1: See, both of those are movies that like, I remember watching as a kid and I remember liking them as a kid, but I have no memory of them now. So clearly not you know cultural uh, capstones or whatever the phrase is.
0: touchstones yeah Uh, that's the word it received a middling response (laughs) that's about all there is to say about it as a 50 percent on Rotten Tomatoes (laughs) straight down the middle
1: right down the middle I I, I mean as a kid I remember the movie stood out to me because I don't know what the Japanese names are again because I I'm not uh, familiar with like the original anime of Astro Boy but uh, Toby, the son of the professor, gets, like, fucking burned alive in the first five minutes by, like, accidentally getting locked in, like, his dad's, like, science experiment and then like, a machine he was working on, like, blows up or overheats or something. And he builds the robot to, like, replace his dead son. I remember, like, sort of, like, that kind of being, like, mind-blowing is not the right word, but, like, kind of horrifying as, like, a kid. Like, you're yeah. going to just replace your son with a robot You're not, you don't see any issues with that. And then they, they don't cover that. I mean, they cover it in the film, but it's not the, the root of the story, which I just remember was like, that, that is where my seven-year-old brain wants to go. Why did you build a robot son that looks exactly like your dead son?
0: (laughs) Yeah, it, uh, it was pretty real. I remember the TMNT movie being the same way. Um, you know, just a, a studio thing, lots of, you know, grittier stuff. But, uh, you know, a pretty bright movie also. The third of the early uh, attempts that was made at uh, bringing anime to the West was Dragon Ball Evolution Mm. in 2009. This movie was initially conceived by Jackie Chan in
1: 1995.
0: Oh, wow. So all three of these were uh, in development since the mid 90s. He, he said it would require, quote, a lot of amazing special effects and an enormous budget. And then later when asked about the casting of Goku in like 2013, uh, Toriyama, the creator of Dragon Ball, said that only young Jackie Chan could do it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that uh, like a Dragon Ball film kind of in contrast to the other two, like I, from what I understand, like Speed Racer and Astro Boy both being like 60s, 70s cartoons when they came to the U S they were probably just like dubbed and then marketed as like a cartoon that was no different from, you know, most else what you were watching, but at least now dragon ball Z definitely has the reputation of being like an anime, you know, with like the overly long fight scenes and the big superpowers and, uh, Mm -hmm. and like being distinct from like cartoons, not something that you could easily mistake for a cartoon. So uh, there's sort of like a process there of like, of uh starting with you know like a film that comes off as more of a a a live action version of like a, a Saturday morning cartoon to something that's more of like an anime adaptation
0: yeah the rights were picked up by Fox in 2002 uh in the same year Stephen Chow was attached to direct uh and he ultimately declined because he said that he doesn't like um directing stories that he didn't create uh, but other directors who were offered the role included Robert Rodriguez and Zack Snyder.
1: Um, like, like Short Boy and Lava <laughs> Girl, like Spy Kids. Robert Rodriguez.
0: Yeah, and and like uh, Batman for Superman, Jack, Zack Snyder, like 300 Zack Snyder. They they we, they they went in a lot of uh, interesting directions with that. Rodriguez ended up doing one of the, again, one of the more well-liked uh, anime adaptations, which was Alita in 2019. Oh,
1: yeah, I was just reading about that. I never, it's weird because honestly, I'm like out of the loop on a lot of these aside from Cowboy Bebop because they have like such a negative reputation. I usually don't, I usually haven't bothered. So it's interesting to hear this history.
0: Yeah, I, I would say that uh, Alita and um, Speed Racer are really the, the, the worthwhile ones of the bunch. But ultimately they landed on James Wong, who at the time was known for uh, Final Destination and um, really hasn't directed anything since Dragon Ball. So I guess he's still known for Final Destination. Um, <laughs> I, I don't have any other notes, but it's considered one of the worst movies of all time.
1: It's interesting, I think, because for any listeners who may not be aware, Uh, this like practice of taking anime slash manga because you know a lot of these were originally from manga and bringing them into live action to uh varying uh success is certainly not uh original to the U.S. in any way in fact as it makes more sense it's very common in Japan um I have personally not seen too many I have seen a mini series of this like really cute uh sort of like slice of life manga about this like guy whose twin gay brother dies and he, he meets his brother-in-law for the first time. That that one was very cute, but you know, it's like no special effects, no action, nothing like that. The other one that I've seen was a live action of a movie of Full Metal Alchemist, uh, which came out in 2017. Now I could we could do a whole other episode on that because I could get into that forever. But um I don't know what the issues with all the live action adaptations or or I guess like American adaptations of anime have always been. But certainly for something like Fondal Alchemist, the issue was, uh, you know, this uh, movie was made it's seven years after the manga was completed. So, you know, it's not, and uh, Fondal Alchemist is, is well known even like in this day, uh, to this day in Japan. So uh, it, it was like, it was not really there for anyone who did not already know Fondal Alchemist. It's kind of like an attempt at a highlights reel. So they're stuffing mm. in like so many iconic moments that, are not, uh, that don't happen anywhere near each other. They're killing off characters who are supposed to live and keeping alive characters who are supposed to die. I wonder where else that happens. Um, And it was a mess. It was really, really bad at the end of the day. So it's not a folly of, certainly I think that like American filmmaking And anime, the the style of storytelling that's done in anime are not always brought together very well. But it's certainly not the fault of, like, being Americans and not getting anime. Because in Japan, they also fail at it.
0: Yeah, I I think that there are, you know, unique problems with with any uh film but when it comes to these adaptations a through line of these early ones is that they were conceived in the 90s and studios just weren't interested until there was like a big anime audience in the U.S. and then suddenly they were like oh we want to get on this and you know you can see in all these cases that like by the time they were actually being made it wasn't that long until you know it was a relatively short process because studios were fast tracking them because they saw this growing uh audience for anime and I think Hollywood has because To this day, very eager to kind of capitalize on that audience. Um, and Hollywood filmmakers are so interested in those stories that they will often, you know, come around on them. But I think that they're... Uh, There can be I mean, there can be competing goals in that regard. I think if you look at a lot of the ones that have come out in more recent years, you can look at like Death Note or Ghost in the Shell or this uh, show, for instance, and you'll see a lot of things where Hollywood isn't willing to take a chance on you know, they're, they're sort of trying to reverse engineer it and give it to like a safe director who's, you know, known for doing TV or doing these uh competent horror movies or doing franchise films and they uh, are just kind of trying to Put it in the hands of someone who's not going to fuck it up too bad, and that you know that that is when things get fucked up so bad. Because <laughs> if you look at the successful examples, you know there are you could point to unsuccessful examples like uh, Last Airbender or Spike Lee's adaptation of Old Boy. Um, but the, the, the successful examples also, you're talking about the Wachowskis and Robert Rodriguez. You're talking about very idiosyncratic um, and like single, uh, you know, singular voices in filmmaking that uh, have a passion for that material. And, um, you know, I feel like a lot of people try to reverse engineer that passion.
1: I think, I think like one thing that's interesting the past few years that uh, studios have seemed to realize to some extent is that it's very, very hard to take, a, a series and make it a movie and make it a successful adaptation certainly you could probably try to do like an arc or something like that but um if you like just like like so of course like Ghost in the shell was a movie they made a movie here but like uh compared to like dragon ball or, or speed race or anything like that you don't have to worry about like an ongoing plot uh, or well, you do have to worry about an ongoing plot because it's a series and you're trying to stuff that into a movie uh if you were doing a series from a series or a movie from a movie you might have a better chance at um at you know bringing things together although I will say that like again as we slowly get closer to talking about Cowboy Bebop itself I do think that like the story the 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 23 minute tight concise storytelling of the original series like was not the the tightness of it was not kept up when episodes were doubled in length even though like you're getting the the time-wise you're going from like 26 episodes to the equivalent of 20 episodes so like time-wise it's not even that different but in terms of like the snap of the story it's like it's all gone
0: there are interesting things to consider in terms of how the uh how this particular adaptation relates to you know in terms of philosophy to the source material but um I don't know. It's something that they're going to keep trying because, <laughs> because again, People they're, are saying you know, that,
1: like, this bombing is going to be, like, the end to this generation of anime adaptations. What do you think about that?
0: Certainly, there was a lot invested into it, uh, an unusual amount, but I wouldn't say that, like, I, I think it might lead to, you know, a course correction for Netflix. Maybe they have their their One Piece uh, series in development, yes. and maybe that'll, And they know... also have the
1: live-action Avatar coming, uh, so more in that like anime realm of live action such, which like that that has a lot of pressure on it because everyone knows how much the first one sucked. Uh, so I feel like there's a lot of pressure on that live action Avatar series to succeed. Um, the, the the creators of the original series left it like a year or two into its original production, so they're not involved anymore. I think it has a lot of people on edge.
0: Yeah, I, I guess you could point to uh, the fact that there was a point where. Hollywood was very interested in having Taika Waititi do his Akira movie and now they're kind of not letting him do it.
1: Which is sucks because I would. So I just, I'm a very big Taika Waititi fan. I've more seen like his comedies than his dramatic work, but I, I just feel like you need, like you said, like sort of idiosyncratic directors, like there, there's a style to Taika Waititi that isn't just like your standard action or just like, you know, doing things competently, but by the books. So he, he could be, you know, like one of those people who could actually bring a series like that to, uh, you know, a Western audience, I mean, more so than the anime itself. But I feel like while we're talking about this, we got to get into the debate that always comes up with these sort of things that people are like, oh, why are you like adapting in the first place? Just go watch the original. Uh, and sort of like that philosophy <laughs> on things, which is like, of course, they're not making you just watch the original because they can make more money if they give you something
0: new to watch. But but also it's sort of it, it's sort of attacking the very idea of adaptation, <laughs> you know, say yeah. like just just go, you know, read the original book or, <laughs> or whatever it is like, like, you know, you could point to. The, the great stories in history and how Romeo and Juliet is an adaptation and the, you know, the, like you, adaptation has always been an element of creativity. Every story comes from another story. And the people who are getting these things off the board in many cases are people who are passionate about these, uh, stories, you know, the fact that, um, Speed Racer first being conceived by Joe Pitco back in the nineties, um, Jackie Chan bringing Dragon Ball to the table in the nineties and, uh, you can point to, I mean, Take a Waititi with Akira, but also um, uh, Robert Rodriguez and James Cameron being so invested in Alita for such a long time. And finally, you know, it took like 20 years for that movie to get made. Uh, these adaptations, and I think it's also true of Cowboy Bebop, they come from people who are passionate about the uh, series. And of course there are always uh, corporate interests that get in the way of that. But it, it, it's important that the idea of, adapting something <laughs> it, it isn't lost in you know people's um people's contempt for some of these adaptations and I, I especially when I see people on on Twitter acting like there's a moral imperative not to watch this show
1: oh that I literally had that not to not to call my brother out here but like when I mentioned like I that I was gonna be talking about this with you uh in front of him the other day he's like you sure you want to be watching that and He And was like oh it was already canceled so it's fine like one person yeah. watch it's like also like <laughs> this isn't a harmful show for the most part this isn't like like this isn't like you know giving a platform to a bigger or anything like that if enough people watched it then it was just netflix being put putting money into one more season of a mediocre show that would be it there would be no damage done
0: Yeah, and I think people, I think some people have maybe walked backwards into the idea that it's immoral to, uh, to, to like adapt anime for it, it in a Western lens, which is a whole can of worms. But I just, you know, again, I think it's, it's sort of attacking the very idea of adaptation that's, that's so fundamental to storytelling. So in 2017, Netflix gets in on the action with their controversial adaptation of Death Note. Yes. Uh, <laughs>
1: Was it Light Turner? I think they called
0: him. <laughs> yeah, Light Turner, played by Nat Wolff. Uh, the, 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 I mean, one thing to note about Death Note is that there was also a uh, a Japanese uh, live action adaptation yes. that was fairly well received. But with this one, uh, it was reported back in 2007 that a dozen film companies in the u.s were interested in making a death note adaptation i was
1: gonna say death note is another series that like um i have never watched it personally but uh like even when i was getting into anime seven eight years after it ended it was one of those series that was like oh this is this is becoming a modern classic you've got to watch death note i never did but uh, that's certainly because um, compared to other things like Dragon Ball, you know, I, I think like time wise, timeline-wise, Jackie Chan was, you know, still right in the middle of like the earlier anime seasons when he called for it. Obviously Astro Boy and mach go go Speed Racer being much older, uh, you know, like the call for a movie was much after. But for film studios to be calling in 2007, like the the anime ended in 2007. So that they're pretty much saying the moment that the anime was ending, film companies were like jumping on it so there's like clearly a progression of like how eager film companies are to put money into into these films
0: yeah and i think part of the thing i i I think it sort of parallels the um again that rise in you know nerd culture and in uh the uh visibility of anime fans in the u.s um when it comes to Death Note, I think that a big part of it is that, I mean, Death Note is the sort of thing that I became aware of it, not in terms of people saying it was a great show, which was the case for like a cowboy bebop or a full metal alchemist, but that, you know, it was kind of a meme. And the the idea of the Death Note itself was sort of the thing that I was aware of from it. It had become, I mean, it's become sort of a cultural, you know, symbol. It's just something we all know about. Yeah, um, you, and you write feel-
1: your name and you, you write someone's name in the book, they die. I feel like that's definitely like, knowledge that has expanded beyond like people who are into anime
0: and so i i just i think it makes sense that especially because the story wasn't well known but there was sort of an iconicism to it already i think it makes sense that studios were like we can turn this into something uh fresh there were a couple screenwriters on board to uh, make it happen. In 2009, it was reported that Warner Brothers had acquired the rights to the remake. They were also the distributors of the Japanese live action films. Um, In 2009, Zac Efron was rumored to be uh, circling the lead role.
1: I don't know. I feel like, I think there's a thing in the manga where light's supposed to be attractive because like, I don't like girls. I just like being smart and then killing people. But I just, I can't. It's because he's got, you know, that like Troy from from uh, High School Musical effect. He just seems like this guy, like that's way too happy and peppy and he's going to bounce around his basketball and sing.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, even knowing that, that Zac Efron has turned in some great like serious roles since then, you ju- I mean, you just imagine the guy in, in 2009 and in, like the, I think that's the year High School Musical 3 came out. But yeah. <laughs> just, just him getting put into that role. It would have been an interesting, like, you know, it took Zac Efron kind of a long time to be taken seriously. And, you know, if it had been uh, accelerated by something like that, it might have been interesting. <laughs> but um, Zach Efron responded to those rumors saying that the project was, quote, not on the front burner. Uh, in 2011, it was announced that Shane Black had been hired to direct. I- I'd be interested in that. Shane um, Black confirmed in 2013 he was still working on the film. Uh, he was sort of kicked out by around 2014. At that time, it was rumored that Gus Van Sant once again <laughs> had been circled. He had uh, been a Tesla speed racer at a point too.
1: apparently notorious anime fan, Gus Van Sant.
0: <laughs> yeah, he loves this stuff. Uh, in 2015, it was revealed that Adam Wingard would be directing the film uh, from a script from some of the people who wrote the original script uh, at this time. Adam Wingard was known for indie horror movies, and I guess *Your Next* was his first big hit, and then he did uh, *The Guest* after that, and *The Blair Witch* uh, 2016.
1: Mm. And
0: since then, he did he did Godzilla vs Kong, which is an insane movie. But he <laughs> he got he got death note out in the middle there. In 2016, it was reported that Warner Brothers had decided to shorten its slate, and so the film was put in turnaround. Uh, Wingard was allowed to shop it around within 48 hours He was reportedly approached by nearly every major film studio (laughs) Wow (laughs) Again, after, you know, eight years of development Every studio still wanted to do Death Note In 2016, it was confirmed that Netflix had bought the film That film (laughs) was poorly received (laughs) The same year that Death Note came out It was announced that a live action series of uh, adaptation of Cowboy Bebop was being produced in collaboration with Sunrise and written by Christopher Yost, who's most known for writing uh, Thor The Dark World and Thor Ragnarok. Mm. A year later, it was announced that Netflix would be airing the series and that Andre Nemec would serve as showrunner. Nemec was most known for developing Alias and Life on Mars. He was also a writer on the Michael Bay directed Ninja Turtles movies. So the Ninja Turtles are also a recurring element here. Nemek and the writers looked to some of Watanabe's influences for inspiration, including The Big Sleep, The Good, The Bad, The Ugly, 2001, Lethal Weapon, Dirty Harry, and The Crow. Nemek says he was dedicated to staying faithful to the anime spirit while telling an original story. I wanted, quote, I wanted to be served if I were a fan a different meal. Yoko Kano, who composed the original series Music, returned for the Netflix series. John Cho says that he wouldn't accept the role of Spike until they confirmed her involvement. That's
1: that's why I made the comments about the music earlier because the music is, like, such a core of the series. There's a reason that they literally are just reusing the same opening and ending theme. Like, Yoko Kato went all out, uh... Yeah. And so, I don't know, there's a few moments that stood out to me, I think, that, yeah, we can get into.
0: The show was initially slated for a 2020 release, but filming was delayed for eight months by a knee injury John Cho sustained in production, and further by the pandemic, so it was eventually shifted to November 19th, 2021. The show received generally poor review from critics... Fans were already turned off when trailers were coming out, calling its style flat and derivative, while several clips of the show were spread around social media. It evidently didn't translate into much viewership because Netflix pulled the plug on the show just three weeks after its release.
1: Yes. Such a, it's a, the, the short tale. <laughs>
0: It should be said in terms of cancellation, Netflix is known for pulling the plug on shows uh, after a season or two, after they feel that they can't uh, necessarily, you know, it, 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 it's out of immediate cachet. And I think in the case of, obviously, Netflix is notoriously shady with its numbers, as has become standard practice for streaming services, but um the fact that they canceled this show tells me that viewership was not what they were hoping for i you know i i think it can be sort of overstated just because you know netflix is the kind of network that will cancel a show for less than (laughs) less than some other networks
1: yes because they're just constantly spin stuff out
0: yep that takes us into the show to, to start off my, you know, having first, I, you know, I was, I was probably aware of the show and it was a development, but when the, when the first trailer dropped, I was like, Oh, this is cool. <laughs> I, I, I was really digging it. I love John Cho. I think uh, he's such a good choice for Spike and, you know, it seemed like a, a good cast. Generally, I liked the the sort of Scott pilgrim style that it had that, that, you know, some people were sort of put off by, Um And yeah, you know, people were commenting on how on, you know, the the sort of flat kind of stuff that it had going on. I wasn't sure how much of that was, you know, just the style that would be there in the show and how much was just like, you know, as they're doing this sort of this sort of featurette, if they weren't able to uh, have as much movement as they would in the show. But uh, I was invested and I was kind of in from the beginning, again, as someone who is not familiar with the anime. um, And even at the point... By the time I had started watching it, I had sort of, you know, been aware that a lot of people didn't like it, but I was still kind of on the side of like, probably going to like this. And in many ways I did.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Listen, I don't, I, my feelings on it are really complicated. I need to, I want to clarify. So my experience with watching is that I was very excited, a bit naive, but like very hopeful all the way up until like the day it dropped. Even when people were making negative comments, I was like, listen, I've seen people get mad at promos of shit and like what's in the promos doesn't matter. They, you know, they prejudge it. And of course people are going to prejudge it because, um, because, you know, it's from a well-loved anime. So people are going to shit on it. And a lot of the comments I was seeing was dudes being like, Faye isn't sexy enough. And so I was like, well, if half the complaints are Faye isn't, you know, Faye isn't, doesn't wear shorts that automatically give her a wedgie then I'm not going to listen to those complaints. So I started watching the show. I watched about an episode and a half and I was like, yeah, it, people were right. This isn't that good. Uh, and I was getting right the final season. So I stopped. Um, and then like doing this episode with you gave me the motivation to like pick it up and start watching. And I finished last night. Um, I will say that like as time gone on, got on, I, I certainly liked it better. And um not to be all like wise and quoted stuff but the other day uh, when rocky and i and some of our friends were discussing where they were helping me uh, uh cast my version of a muppet's princess pride and mm. I-, I promise this is relevant um and uh, i was perseverating over whether i thought miss figgy should play buttercup and i was like she's not passive enough to be to play buttercup And Rocky reminded me, like, when you're making a remake of something, you don't want it to be exactly the same. I don't want to literally watch the 1998 series, but with live action actors, because then genuinely, why am I not just watching the anime? Right. So I think that, like, honestly, like, having that said to me changed my perspective a little bit as I was thinking. I also think that just, like, the, the later episodes are a bit stronger. Um, and also like some of the later episodes focus on Fae more and of the live action group, Faye was my favorite. So I think like those three things kind of played together. And by the end, I'd give it like a, in the beginning, I wanted to give it like a three out of 10. By the end, I'd say it's like a 5.5 or a six. There's a lot,
0: there's a lot of ways to maybe get into it. I would say that, uh, I was enjoying it in the first episode and there were things that, uh, I became, I became less invested in it when, uh, Here's the thing. I really like the cast generally, and I like that they're older. You know, there I, I I had seen some debate online about, you know, John is too old to play Spike or whatever. I think that um, I, I mean, it's just something right out the gate. That's like this isn't this isn't quite the same show. And the, the, the creator, uh, Nemec, I think, was talking about how in live action they felt that they, you know, they could convey the history of these characters a little better with uh, older actors. John Cho talked about how he thinks when when he was 27, he wouldn't be able to play Spike and, and, and yeah, I just I right out the gate, I was really I, I really appreciated the cast and the fact that they were older and the fact that they had all this history and the show was so had that, so much of that built in idea of their history. But then as it became entangled in flashbacks and sort of like showing us the history i i became less interested in it
1: (laughs) absolutely i think that's honestly like as as someone who you know is a fan of the original i think that's like one of the biggest changes they made that bothered me the most because i think that like so much more of the history between julia and spike and vicious is implied in the anime my big issue i'm just gonna like say it flat out and maybe we can like we might need to backtrack a bit my issue is vicious vicious Mm -hmm. like represents so many of my issues with uh what what the what the live action thing does rather than the animated one because there are other changes that are made that are like it's like the characters share names but their roles are different um certainly like like udai Taxim, his like gimmick is different but you know he's the criminal that was involved in jets you know last case before his arm got shot Mm -hmm. and whitney haggis matsumoto is the person who scammed Faye, but instead he like pretended to like sort of like take on her debt and would write her in his will and then his will was more debt and he faked his death rather than like some it was a man rather than like a woman who was like pretending that it was her kid and then stealing their you know like whatever savings they had but the thing is that so much in in a 26 episode show vicious shows up i think in like five or six episodes um and two of those are like the mid-season finale and the the end of the series and then uh, his like when he's shown for the first time in episode five, he's just like this much more like haunting figure. Uh, and the series like is not about him at all. Julia, we don't like meet her until the last episode. It's like you see flashbacks. We do not meet her until the very end of the series. It, it is so much more about the Bebop crew doing bounties. And it, certainly like their past come up, especially like like. Jet and Faye and Ed all have a uh, one or two episodes that are like focused on their past. Then like the big ones, then uh, then like the big action sequences when Vicious shows up are focused on Jet's past, of course, or Spike's past. I mean, of course. But this, the series decision to uh, like give the Bebop crew's like story and then Vicious and Julia's like uh, for uh, taking over the syndicate, like giving those like equal weight. Makes it something so unfamiliar that like it wasn't fun to watch. That was where my issue was. And again, that is like also based off like my pre-existing notions of the series because I I prefer vicious as this like sort of uh, you know he's still very like aggressive and wild, but uh, this sort of like restrained figure who sits in the shadows. Who you know he's not out doing dirt work, dirty work. He only shows up when he thinks he's really got the upper hand. He's not desperately chasing people around. Um, in anything like that.
0: Yeah. I definitely didn't like their angle on Julia. And when it came to vicious, I I liked the I liked the actor. And I thought that I don't know, he felt like a good villain. But then like you said, the fact that he is, you know, sort of petulant running around trying to do stuff. I mean you you can look at like Kylo Ren, I guess, as an as an example of like that archetype of a villain. And I think it, that is done really well, at least at first. But I I, I just feel like I, I guess there's also that angle of like you know him and Spike being sort of parallel that is interesting. I think there's a lot of fun stuff. I love every scene with uh, with Vicious in the in like the Elders like you mm. know yeah. room. I think that's that's really cool. But that's like Power Rangers shit. You know that the, the, the stuff yeah. that I like about this show mostly is the monster of the week stuff. And I think they were clearly in their heads about like developing all these plot lines and having things move into these arcs. Absolutely.
1: There's, there's so little plot in the original series. Like there's certainly like things can happen in the earlier episodes that have, that uh, have consequences later. Faye coming in and out a bit when Ed joins. Uh, But aside from like when, and like there are episodes with flashback stuff that like sometimes affects the characters going on, but like their past, but when it comes to like the syndicate stuff, it's like I said, it's like five episodes of the series it's like 5, 12 and 13, 25 and 26 and that's it. That's like the only time that we think about the syndicate. The rest of the time, it's about, you know, the bounty of the week. And that that's that's where the show thrives, like you said. And I think that like by demanding that like from the get-go, Spike is like aware that that the syndicate is like on his tail, but that he is constantly thinking about it because like uh like Spike and Vicious have a confrontation in episode 5 of the anime. And Spike just forgets about it because that's like he, he's he he runs away, you know, he like leaves. He's not but he's not constantly dwelling on it, constantly looking for information, constantly trying to get back at Vicious and, and anything like that. Um, I think like the the desire to have a like constant through plot that is constantly making momentum all, like pulls the series back.
0: Yeah. And and I, you know, clearly they had this investment in like ending the season on the, on a spike in vicious confrontation and sort of, you know, yeah, building into further things to come. I'm sure they had a plan for that, but I feel like having, rather than having Ed be like the final reveal of the season, I think just, I think just having vicious show up at the end would be so much of a a stronger thing.
1: I agree. And the, the, the conflict at the end of the series is like the whole conflict between uh spike and vicious in the church is shot for shot episode five of the anime the like exact context is slightly different like in the anime like faye's been kidnapped and he has to like get her out rather than like jet and jet's daughter being there Mm -hmm. but the whole like the whole like thing where like vicious is like up with his blade pointing down and and spike is on the ground with his gun pointing up and like either of them could make the next move that shot is taken straight from the anime the the song that plays when jet walks into the building rain straight from like the same exact shots in the anime when he falls out the window and a green bird starts playing the one with like the sort of like nonsense chorus singing that is again straight from the anime when it when spike falls out the window uh evergreen starts playing or Greenbird, i mean so that was like music moments that were like taken exactly as it is but one thing i noticed is that so many things that happen at the start of the series uh or the back of the series get like in the anime get flipped like like blatant thing here uh the so you you, i'm sure you know it's iconic for the series at the end of every episode there's like a tagline which is usually like see you space cowboy but some of the episodes have like a more unique one so for the last episode the tagline is uh see uh see you cowgirl someday somewhere In the anime, that that shows the last time that we ever see Ed when she leaves the crew of the Bebop and goes wandering into the desert with Ayn and we don't see them for like the last three episodes. It's like a goodbye Ed, it was great to have you in the cast, not like you'll see her next season because the next season never happens. And it just, it ends up being this like very uh, like ironic tease that like instead of doing it when Ed departs, they're doing it when Ed is introduced, but they're never going to be allowed to follow up on it.
0: I, the, you you do have to consider the fact that their plan was to have multiple seasons yeah. of this thing. It's and, that's you know, like it's that's so really hard to
1: to judge like time wise and stuff. I mean like that 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 tagline certainly like uh, you can like say right up. It's not when Ed leaves. It's when Ed's there. But I like I I was bothered by like how early they get into phase backstory stuff because that's another thing that really only happens towards the end of the series. But again like mm. this would be uh, like. I think it's but it's like how early on is it you know is it like halfway through or is it gonna end up being like the first quarter of the series like depending on how much you do I think there's just they certainly wasn't the same issue as like the Fullmetal Alchemist movie but they do have a bit of an issue of trying to get some of the most iconic storylines in um without really um making sure that they all fit perfectly so you brought up a lot of stuff of like jets passed and phase past it's all uh, front loaded. And so I was, mm-hmm. I, I was thinking a lot like what would they have done for a second season? Because like, obviously there's stuff with Julia and the syndicate, but like the, the dynamic of the bebop is as shattered here as it is in the finale of the anime. So what mm-hmm. were they going to do?
0: I, I don't know. I mean, I have to imagine they had a plan, but I do think yeah. that um, the, Hmm. I like some of the I, I like the backstory stuff. Again, I just don't like that it's all in flashback. But uh, I mean, there's definitely still in terms of all the of, of all the backstories of the characters. I I, I like the idea of you know fleshing out all of them kind of in tandem with each other and how, like, you you see how all their histories inform their present, which, get, again, goes into, you know, them being older and all that. I like that. I just, you know, I, I, I think there is still stones left unturned in all their cases where, like, you could see them just following these same narratives further in other seasons. I would like to see them incorporate new elements, though, and I don't know exactly where that would come from. Or mm-hmm. maybe, I mean, my hope, I guess, is that they would have the history and then the next season would be more monster of the week stuff which yeah. is what i want to like
1: that that's what i would love but the crew's all split up so there's got to be like at least an episode or two committed to getting the crew back together if if they did that and i guess i i wouldn't want to i wouldn't want to waste time on that if there were a second season i i realized like obviously where the narrative goes it wouldn't have made sense for jet and Faye to stick around with spike but i thought about it a lot because um I, it's been a few years since i watched the anime but i always feel like of like the four crew members spike and ed had some of like the least chemistry probably because he just he is the character who has like the least patience in the least use for ed in some ways i find it really interesting that like in the original series my favorite relationship like between the crew is between jet and ed because jet develops this like really paternal relationship uh you find out that he has like an ex-girlfriend but she kind of ran off so he seems like he would have been a really good family man but like it didn't work out for him and then you know this like uh incredibly wild and immature like 10 year old shows up on his doorstep and he's like hey could be a daughter um but they sort of they would not not only like would that not happen immediately in the second season because like jet hates spike and eds with spike but you wouldn't need to do that because kimmy exists kimmy is is, is <laughs> yeah, jet's jet original daughter, yeah. character daughter um so we already get to see him being paternal and failing at it and i don't know i wouldn't want to see a thing that's like what do i do do i go after my adopted daughter or my real daughter like i wouldn't want to see that drama um but like they've already had jet being paternal so the like the the need for that relationship between ed and jet is lost and that disappoints me because I really liked it.
0: Yeah I wonder what I I do wonder about where they would go with this version of Ed. I feel like that would probably be a big part of like what builds out in the next season because there are implications in earlier episodes about you know the them just already having a connection to Ed. And so like
1: Ed's already been an informant for Jet but he, you know he thinks that radical Ed is a man. Um, so, there's probably be some sort of like, oh, you're radical, Ed? What? Because you wouldn't know, be expecting this like crazy 10 year old girl.
0: I could see a second season about the crew kind of in conflict that ends with them back together. And then, like, <laughs> the third season is about them together again. I don't know, it's with them apart. I don't know. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. The first episode, uh, Cowboy Gospel. It uh, begins with a fight in a casino that I thought was excellent.
1: That is uh, a totally original uh, plot. But I, I did enjoy that. I did remember being like, Fomad Alchemist Brotherhood does it too, creating like an original scene to help set the basis when you're not starting in like the exact same point as like, say, uh, the manga or the original anime was to like create a new plot to sort of reintroduce people. I, I thought that was very good.
0: Yeah, it's a fun, I don't know if it's my favorite, it's not my favorite scene in the show, but it might be my favorite action scene. Like there, you know, there's a real, I mean, maybe it's just the novelty of it. And then it's like the first uh, image of the show, but the way that Spike enters it through the elevator and the like, the the way this villain is so off the wall i felt like some of the some of the bounties were kind of underwhelming over the over the course of this show but this first one is like a real fucking character and i think they had a lot of fun with it i noticed right out the gate and something that comes up throughout the show is that a lot of the bounties are like anti-capitalist figures and it's something that at first it happened and I was like, Oh, so I think that's going to be a relevant thing about how the bounties are kind of sympathetic in a way. And it's sort of coloring this sort of amoral thing about bounty hunters in general. And I was like, that's interesting. But then they were sort of all in that same thread of just, you know, being anti-capitalist and it wasn't really explored further than that.
1: (laughs) I have, uh, that's, that's a great observation. I have, We'll get to it later. I have a lot of thoughts on how police are talked about in this series, especially with Jet, especially compared to the original. But uh, mm. he, he's got a whole police episode coming on in a few, so we can wait until we get to that.
0: In the casino scene, there's like a disruptor gun that, that, that gets fired off. And I really liked the effects of, of, of like that, you know, blasting a hole in the thing and, you know, sucking out into space. I thought that uh, it was a really fun thing to see right out of the gate. Like you're in this in- confined space of the casino and then you're out in the vacuum of space. I thought that was really cool. But um, I like that this was sort of playing with, you know, in addition to these really colorful sets, also just kind of these sort of cheesy uh, VFX right out of the gate. I felt like it was striking a really fun and campy uh, tone to begin with that was one of the things I was excited for about the show. And I think um, it's probably my favorite thing about it.
1: One thing that has bothered me is that uh, at least maybe it's all information from data books, because I was looking on like the Wikipedia for, for the series, but there's like a pretty well-established timeline, at least from like 2064 to 2071 in the anime of like jet gets cryo Jet, jet jet, like gets shot. Uh, here's where he becomes a bounty hunter. Here's where he meets, uh, here's where he meets Spike. Here's where Faye gets, uh, unfrozen from the cryosleep, all that. This series, I think because there's, like, this time skip right in the first episode, I was having so much trouble keeping track of the timeline because the first Mm -hmm. bounty that we see, I'm pretty sure they, like, it is Spike and, one of Spike and Jet's, like, first bounties together. By the end of, by, like, the rest of the episode, we've already introduced Faye. And I'm pretty sure those two scenes, like the casino heist and the red eye bounty, happen like very closely to one another, not just like next to each other. But I think they like take place fairly soon after one another.
0: Yeah, I I saw this episode as happening uh, pretty much all at once. I guess maybe like without again, without having paid much attention to the overarching story and maybe like. You know, there's obviously a lot of backstory to get through, but yeah. I I mostly, the, the idea that all of this stuff was happening at about the same time made yeah. sense to me.
1: That's the just the one thing with that is that like, a, in the beginning of the series, like, uh, yes, things happen in like a fairly chronological order, although it's not always like, yesterday we did this bounty, today's this bounty in the next episode, but... Uh, Spike and Jet have been working together for three years, so they've, like, they've got shit down. What shakes things up is Ayn ends up on the ship, and then Faye ends up on the ship, and managing Faye is a hassle, and then Ed ends up on the ship. And that, like, brings new variety to their dynamic, but they have a pre-established dynamic. I thought that they were kind of doing a disservice to Jet and Spike's relationship by introducing Faye so early, but they also only had 10 episodes. So they kind of just, and like she is a fan favorite. So I think they just want to get her in like as soon as possible.
0: Yeah. And I, I, I don't know. I'm sure as they were building out some of the ideas for this season, Faye became an important part of it. I think I'm sure they wanted to, you know, focus on women uh, to the extent that they could. Yes. With, <laughs> with...
1: So many female characters are either given like much larger roles or characters that were male or turned female. So, you know, varying success and necessity, but... Yeah,
0: some of them are great. We'll get into it. Some of them <laughs> oh. are good. Um, yes. In terms of uh, other stuff in this first episode, I pretty quickly, I was like, man, this dialogue isn't very good. <laughs>
1: okay. <laughs> you know? I'm glad that you agree on that <laughs> because I I have so many quotes that I have pulled out uh, that I can go along with. A, a, a pretty notorious one that happens in a episode three that we can talk about um I I think like one thing that really grinded my gears in terms of the dialogue not that like one character is particularly worse than another was uh they keep giving Faye these like bad swears to say like dick balls and 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 shit mouth and stuff like that like over and over again and it feels like they're trying to make her kind of cool but it does not work like I just it feel, she feels a bit like, a, and maybe it's like, maybe that's the point because she's been in cry sleep for so long, but she feels like a teenager who is being allowed to swear for the first time and kind of just putting a, a bad insult into every sentence.
0: Yeah, there's a real uh, lack of clarity about, like, who they're angling towards with the dialogue where there are, you know, moments where they're trying to, where it, it feels very... The, there's sort of an iCarly element to it where it's like it's like trying to do like sitcom banter but for kids and then there are also moments where it just feels like it's trying to also be Seinfeld on top of everything else and like oh, the observations aren't there the humor isn't there there's a lot of there's a lot of like one line everyone has quips obviously that's one of my
1: lines uh one of like uh an observation I made was like uh this series does not know the difference between smart quips and bad puns it would like much rather give People a bad pun or like a bad like jab, then like make them say
0: intelligent things. Even then, like I I didn't have such a problem with the the puns. There's just something very specific about how they give people quips where they clearly like didn't think far enough to be to figure out what the joke is. Like one of the one of the ones that I brought down for this first episode is there's a line where I don't even remember which character says this, but uh but they're like, do I look like I should be drinking tequila? And the other character says, you look like you should be drinking nothing but tequila. And like, that doesn't, that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> and there's a lot of moments like that throughout the show. But uh, mm. yeah, I don't know a very specific thing about this writing yeah that feels kind of again like maybe they were going for maybe they're i don't know having not watched the anime maybe there's something about like the tone that was required and you know the specifics of that culture that they were trying to translate and couldn't get right but um i don't know
1: maybe it's like something that like you're less aware of but there is like a whole thing going around with gren pretty much in the original series gren is a character that shows up for two episodes the the 12 and 13 two-parter and Gren is a sax performer at a club that, again, I don't think it's, like, necessarily connected to Anna, I don't think she owns a club, but Gren and the club come together, and in that series, uh, Gren is, like, an ex-soldier who got experimented, or who got exposed to this, like, dangerous chemical, uh, which causes him to, like, develop intersex traits, pretty much. There's a bit of a, like, he's, like, taking a shower, uh, face suspicious of him, she, like, walks in, she's like, oh my god, you have breasts, there's, Uh, Some stuff that I I haven't seen in a while. I would not be surprised if it doesn't age super well. But, uh, you know, like, I don't think it's particularly offensive or awful or anything like that. So in this series, they make Gren non-binary. They're played by a non-binary actor. Uh, There's at least one or two times where, like, Anna refers to them with they, them pronouns. It's kind of it. Um, I remember towards the end of the last episode being, like, not that, like... This almost felt like a, I, like I don't want to use the word queer bait lightly because that word has been tossed around to hell and back at this point. But the amount of advertising that went into like, oh, we're changing Gren's character, we're making Gren non-binary and and with a non-binary actor and all that. Like Gren does not do very much of anything, and uh, the role that Gren plays like in the original episode does not really happen. So. I just I remember sitting there because I like had that background on the character. I remember sitting through the whole series, going, "Cool, it's great to see a non-binary character." I wonder when they're going to do something. And they just kind of you know like follow Anna around and make some quips and, and serve drinks.
0: Yeah, I hadn't heard anything about about that character before going into the show. Um, mm. I guess the thing with the the thing with making the thing with just making them non-binary is that it is more you know. Um, It's nicer. It's it's less, you know, uh, potentially, you know, uh, triggering or less incorrect or whatever, but it it takes the narrative out of that character. And so you're sort of like, now what are you doing with them?
1: exactly that's that's the thing is like we didn't see gren do anything the background that like gren from the anime had is like an ex-soldier who's like involved in the syndicate who i think he like wants vengeance on or vengeance on vicious for some reason or another because when he was in the army he was involved in the got connected to the syndicate somehow
0: mm-hmm.
1: but like like he's like vicious ruined my life and vicious is like you are but to me it was tuesday you know you're just another person whose life i ruined i believe is sort of the deal that they have and As far as we know, so far. I mean, of course, there's all the seasons we don't get. Like that isn't what happens with Gren because Gren isn't some like you know performer wandering around looking for information on vicious. They they've got plenty of information on vicious. uh, Really, from like the connections with Anna and uh, being near the syndicate so much. They're just like the you know the the head of entertainment at Anna's bar, and we don't know much else yet. So. Or ever, I guess. I keep saying yes, yeah, as though there will be another season.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean maybe if we if we fight hard enough. I think that um there's room for that though, because I mean so much of that like so much of that like military and syndicate stuff is is present throughout the show that I feel like yeah. if, if they were going to expand on the grand character, and I would hope that they would, then giving them building them more of that backstory could be an interesting place for the show to go uh in 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 further episodes I
1: guess because in in when in their original introduction like their backstory comes fast because we only get Gren for two episodes now it's like Gren's a, you know a, a constant supporting character so there was when they thought there were more seasons there was no rush to go into Gren's backstory because we didn't need it yet
0: I noticed that um I mean, people talk about the overuse of Dutch angles in this show, and I definitely Oh my God, feel okay, like...
1: I'm so glad i it was bothering me so much. It was just like every conversation is a is a is a battle of opposite Dutch angles,
0: yeah, the thing is, I think that a they don't really convey anything, and b they're not doing anything else with the camera, really, so it's just like they're one trick, and they're like, this is style, right? yeah. It's you know I I felt like the camera was very flat for a lot of this show and I wanted to see, uh you know more movement and more yeah, yeah like like wide shots and close up shots I felt like it was um there th- there was a lack of creativity in that regard and sort of again that thing about reverse engineering inspiration just being like well you know. Scott Pilgrim has a lot of Dutch angles in it so that's like that that's like something quirky that people like but but yeah I don't think it's I I I wasn't annoyed by the Dutch angles until pretty late in the show like by episode two my note was like I don't I think these are fine but uh the the fact that they don't mean anything and they're just put in at random times like it definitely uh becomes annoying after a while definitely another thing that that sort of comes up is how I, I think Julia is treated as this question mark and, you know, is sort of conveyed through all these flashes of like the tattoo and, you know, what happened to her or whatever throughout the, uh, or the rose, uh, throughout the, um, the first episode. And you kind of, and like, I was... I wouldn't say I was like so intrigued by it right away but I was like this is an interesting thing and this is something that is going to get built out piece by piece throughout the season but then after the first episode she and vicious are both just kind of around and it 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 feels like um it, it feels like it begins with this idea of having that mystery around them and then just kind of drops it after uh the first episode
1: That's almost like they they decided they did the first episode and then decided like what they wanted to change from the original so they're like well we can't just be like we were gonna have them be all mysterious and sort of in the background and maybe show up one or two times like we did in the anime but now now they're main characters but they like kept that shot in the first they kept those shots in the first episode and they forgot to like take them out when they changed how they were using the characters uh like those hints of them would make much more sense in the original series where you don't meet julia until the last episodes uh, rather than one where she's, like, introduced. They, like, name her in the second episode, and then she is increasingly, like, a main character and then a villain, so. Okay, we gotta talk about Woodcock even before we get...
0: She sucks. <laughs>
1: she's why she's so her, bad. Okay, why does her character exist? Okay, <laughs> I just... She's she's just a walking sexual harassment? And that's supposed to be funny because she's old in a in a woman. I don't know. And I'm sure you. I'm sure you put down the line. Uh, this feels like blackmail. Well, you are black and you are male. That line made me like almost scream. I was not expecting that.
0: I, it's obviously that's an infamous line in the context. Of, like like I don't think it doesn't make sense. It, it's I mean, dumb.
1: It's just it's <laughs> dumb. It's like. W- w- that's not helping the situation. You're not proving Jet wrong or being smart. You're just being like, oh yeah, and that has two words in it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but it, I, I guess it fits like her character just being like this this weird creep who Jet sort of can't shake off. <laughs> but yeah, just sort of a, just really the worst. And then when she comes back in another episode, I'm like, she sucks. <laughs> I'm like, she sucks. <laughs> She's just bad.
1: Absolutely. I think that was where, like, the, that her appearance, like, sort of marked where I really was, like, not having fun. Where, like, I think episodes, like, three, four, five were a genuine, like, pain for me to get through. And, like, th- knowing that I was going to talk about it with you was, like, the only thing that got me through it. So I think that sort of marked where that started.
0: I like the way that this this show juggles a lot of different tones, I guess, like, even though I, I don't think uh, the camera is often used very well. I think that uh, th- the fact that it goes so smoothly into like Western and noir and, you know, uh, the, j- just all these different time periods and um, genres, I feel like it, it does that pretty well for the most part. Yeah,
1: certainly something it, it certainly something that like the anime did. Um, but yeah, I don't think it's it's bad at it. I think that like being forced, like like the limitations of like it being live action make that shift harder and more jarring than it is when it's animated. Uh, but that's just I think just like an it I don't think that's like a fault of the direction necessarily. I think that's just like a a a difficulty of the medium. The whole fearless thing, uh as spikes uh mm-hmm. as spike's old name. Um I hated it a lot. Uh, Again, something that wasn't present in the original series, when I first heard it, my first thought was that they they felt like they needed to justify that they had a character named Vicious. So they decided to give Spike a name that was also an adjective um, to uh, like Mm -hmm. balance them out. Because I I guess there's an implication that like Spike Spiegel is not his given name, but they don't go so far as to be like, to repeatedly call him by like a a former name over and over and over again. Uh, it's left to be a mystery because so much of his past is a mystery, but just like the series mm-hmm. explains so much more of his past than we ever got in the anime. It also gives him uh, a former name.
0: Yeah. I liked, I mean, I guess once you get to the point of like, we're going to do a whole episode in flashback, you have to sort of uh, open that pick, can of worms, yeah, but I, I don't know. I I, I thought the fearless thing um, makes made sense and I wasn't, um, you know, annoyed by it at all. I think uh, they, I, it, it's something that is sort of left uh open in terms of you know where those names come from and what their real names might be if, if that's relevant at all uh but i think they could have done more in terms of like establishing something about about the syndicate and about how that's you know sort of part of their tradition and maybe uh i, I mean maybe that was one place they would look to go in the future is where spike spiegel comes from but i don't yeah. know
1: yeah I, they don't... I just find it interesting because no one else in the syndicate that we meet has a name like that. Right. Like, the, the three elders are named after, like, characters from The Tempest, I think. Um, you got, like, Lin and Shin our bodyguards, which are from the original series. Um, Maori, something like that, the one played by Rachel House, and then uh, Caliban, I think, or
0: mm-hmm.
1: with the other Kapos. So no one else has a name, like Vicious or Fearless, Uh, So I really felt like they did it to try and like justify Vicious having that name uh, because I, I don't know why they would otherwise. Um, But I am curious, like where that sort of like decision came from.
0: I think it probably came from a, a, in terms of like the narrative they were telling with this season, I think they got into the idea of Spike and Vicious having this history and being sort of parallels of each other. And I, you know, it's something that in many ways could have been better explored uh, in, in, you know, how their narratives overlap with each other. But I think that fleshing out the backstory, they, I, I think it speaks to the idea. I think they were interested, first of all, in like calling attention to the, like the parallel between them, this idea that they were once sort of uh, brothers of sorts. Um, but then also, I think they were also kind of interested in developing that idea of uh, Spike, you know, having this past that he doesn't like talking about and this idea that, you know, part of that past could be uh, uh, a former name. I feel I feel like there are, I, I, you know, I see a couple of ways that that came to be. And um, yeah, I think it makes sense.
1: I think that a lot of like what you're, you're just willing to accept a lot more of the things that are new to this series than I am. Uh, like mm-hmm. as much as I'm trying to have a wide mind, there are some things that are just like, this wasn't bad in the original and now I don't think it's as good. So I make the change in the first place. But I don't, I'm very interested because I, I seriously doubt that many people watch this who have not already watched the anime. So like seeing your understanding of it is very interesting to me.
0: Having talked it through, I see that there are a lot of, you know, glaring problems. There are probably as many bad episodes as good ones. Uh, but I feel like what I walk away with is still that I liked it.
1: <laughs> um, I mean, I got a... I, I, I don't agree. That's not how I came out. I think... The last few episodes were not so bad to get through as like three, four, five were. By the time I hit like three, four, five, I was just really like, "This is not. This is a, a pain. I am. I'm doing this because we're going to. T- I'm going to talk to Rocky about it." But um, I did not feel like the good episodes made up for the bad episodes. They just were not as bad as the bad episodes. All this really made me do is want to watch the anime again. So. Which, I mean, to Netflix's benefit, they they currently own the license to the anime. So, like, they're, in some way, by pissing off all the fans by making this adaptation, they're getting people to go and watch Cowboy Bebop, so.
0: Yeah, I guess maybe in, like, articulating what I like about it and what I don't like about it, it'll, you know, we can sort of develop a clearer sort of point here. First of all, Spike... And John Cho's performance of Spike, to me, that, that's probably the thing I will take away from this show is great. I mean, great character, obviously, but great, great performance. I, I like I said, I like the tone a, a, a lot and the, the way that it uses tone. I love the, um, the 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 set pieces and these sort of the the angling towards camp that it does uh most of the time i think that it's a strong fit for trying to do this sort of live action adaptation of uh you know a very dynamic kind of series and i feel like the you know the costumes are there the sets are there i like i like the effects i like how they're not too fancy and they but they you know are are being creative with them still i've i've I think it's rare to see CG effects that are as, you know, uh, engaging and and unique as some of the effects that show up in this show. Uh, The dialogue is pretty uniformly bad uh and and that's something that i think when you're coming at cowboy bebop you need someone who who has a vision to come into it when you're when you're coming at any kind of when you're trying to adapt an anime into a live action thing there's so much there's such a delicate balance i think that goes into that that you know you might fail big if you go with someone who has a a crazy director who has a vision for it but uh that's really the only way that i feel like you can succeed and again i feel like this show is trying to reverse engineer that in a lot of ways but um I see the really good show that's in here and I don't think it's completely lost by the time the season ends.
1: I agree. I don't think that the series is as much as the, a lost cause or a complete waste of, uh, of energy and skill as it has sometimes been said by uh, anime fans online. Um, but I do think that there is just, um, even if like, I, because I, talking to you has made me think about it less as like what has been changed from the original and like what is just unsuccessful on its own. And I think that like the, the, the dialogue, the story structure with the amount of flashbacks, there's enough that just like makes the story not work on its own that, um, even just like ignoring how different it is from the original, um, this isn't the kind of thing that you can look at and go like, oh, well, it's a remake. It's for a new generation. Like, don't think about the original because, first of all, it's not so removed from the original. And second of all, because it's doing so much to connect itself to the original series uh, through like using Tank and the real folk blues as the opening and ending. by like, getting Yoko Kano back and reusing like specific songs like Green Bird and, um, and Rain uh of like doing a few like shot for shot line for line things like the fight with uh spike adventures in the church um they want you to remember the anime and unfortunately that just kind of highlights some of the changes that they make that that end up falling on its face
0: i i guess speaking objectively i couldn't classify this as a as a success or as a good show um i mean removed from the perspective of of how it relates to the anime which i do think is is kind of the right way to do it um i don't know i think it has in in most senses i think it has the right idea and it just doesn't like the execution isn't there you know like i think this was the right angle for a live action cowboy bebop i think that style is right the you know, casting is right. They, they, like like the, most of the new choices that were made that I know of, I think are, are good choices. And I like, I, I think it could have done more to tell a different story from the anime, but I understand that they want to strike that balance where, you know, fans of the anime aren't going to lose their shit because it's just something different.
1: I kind of wish that they had gone further with it though. I think that they honestly like hurt themselves more by making it a bit too similar because- Almost every single story has its basis in a bounty from the original series, but none of them uh, are like identical like remakes. That's why the only place where it really goes like shot for shot is, um, is in the fight with Vicious and Spike because that's very similar to the episode five fight. But uh, I kind of wish that they had just like, because there are so many more bounties that these characters could do. I, I just wish that like the characters had been a bit more similar to who they originally were in the anime but that the stories that they were going on were completely different. That's that's what I would have wanted out of something like this. Yeah. A, a spiritual continuation but it's live action.
0: I guess that would also work with the um the characters being older. I feel like I want to see these characters in these performances. I I want to see this world. But yeah, like you said, I want to see something that feels original and not like it's burdened by the past both of its characters and of its of real life um you know i think this could be a fun like i said a doctor who kind of uh uh, bounty of the week you know sci-fi show and i think part of what's lost in this in this drive to you know appeal in this hollywood drive to appeal to anime fans uh, and, you know, the anime audience is that it, sometimes it comes from the story, sometimes it comes from the world, and there's always an attempt made to, like, repackage what the original thing was. And I I, I look at Alita and... Um, Speed Racer, actually, and I think part of what sets them apart is that, I mean, they are sort of telling the same stories, but they, because you know, how, how the originals use story and how different they are from them. But I, I just think that um they are concerned with, they're concerned with that vision and they're concerned with telling the original thing, where if you look at other examples, if you look, I talked about Shyamalan doing Left Air Vendor and how that could have been something successful, but I think because it is in a way trying to be a reel of moments from the show, you you know, anything that I think is too burdened by trying to repackage the thing that already exists uh, runs into problems. Well, Alex, (laughs) thank you so much for joining me.
1: Thank you for, for wandering through this muddy, muddy mush of, of a show, (laughs) I guess with me.
0: Yeah, we we learned a lot and we went into a lot. There's definitely a lot to talk about with this show, even beyond just like, you know, outside the show things. I feel like I was surprised by how much, you know, as we got into the the, the series itself, I was kind of surprised by how much I had to say about the like, you know, structural and storytelling things about it. My big takeaway, John Cho, Spike Beagle.
1: <laughs> oh, God, I don't even know what my big takeaway would be. Uh, the days are not for feet <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> that's what we learned this week thank you so much to everyone at home for listening at this point if you're a fan of the show you can support it through Substack uh, if you can't support it monetarily one of the best things that you can do is share it on social media tell your friends about it Uh, Next week, we're going to be starting our 2021 in review stuff. And we also have that Homestuck episode I mentioned that's coming around the bend. So lots to look forward to. And I will see you all next week. I disagree, disagree, disagree. I disagree, I disagree, Gary. I disagree, Gary.